0: Please turn to John's Gospel, the Gospel of John, John chapter 5. If you need a Bible, there's a Bible in the chair in front of you, a black Bible. You can go to the back. They renumber the New Testament. Page 75 in that black Bible, you'll find John chapter 5. 75 in that black Bible, John chapter 5. And we're going to finish the chapter John uh, of the chapter of Going to finish John chapter five. There we go. Couldn't get it out. Going to finish that this morning. <coughs> Worked out good to finish this chapter. Then we'll be gone next week, and then we'll uh, start in in chapter six. Which is this pro- that chapter six is probably one of my favorite chapters in all of John's gospel. John chapter five. Uh, we'll start in verse thirty. Go to the end of the chapter, verse forty-seven. John chapter five, starting in verse thirty. 47 John chapter 5 verse 30 I'm not able to do anything on my own as I judge I, as I hear I judge and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will but the will of the one who sent me if I testify of myself my testimony is not true is not sufficient there's another who testifies of me and I know that the testimony which he testifies is sufficient. He have sent to John and he's testified to the truth. But the testimony which I received is not from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was the lamp that was burning and was shining and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light but the testimony which I receive is greater than John for the works which the Father's given me to accomplish, the very works that I do testify of me that the Father sent me. And the Father who sent me, he testifies of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form, <clears throat> and you do not have his word abiding in you if you do not believe in him whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is these that bear testimony of me. And you're unwilling to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive recognition from men, but but I know you that the love of God you do not have in yourselves. I have come in the name of my Father and you do not receive me. If another shall come in his own name, you will receive him. How can you even believe When you receive recognition from one another, you do not seek the recognition that is from the only God. Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father, the one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you yourselves hope. For if you believe Moses, you will believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? I remember a situation which you've probably experienced it yourself. There's a couple, young couple. <laughs> Noth- nothing just you, Datch don't, don't worry about it. And they have the little one, They're two year old, maybe three. The parent said, It's time to go. Ah! No, I don't want to do that. No, no, I don't want to. Ah! You ever experienced that? No, Walmart. That's the place that happens. eh. Ah, those kids, ah, flailing their arms, maybe on the ground, throwing a tantrum. I don't want to do that. You can't make me. How does that connect with today's passage? How does that connect with today's passage? The call is to come and receive Jesus. Come believe into Jesus. Come know Jesus. The call is come. The invitation is there from John the evangelist to his readers to us. Come receive. But we won't. If you want to sum up these verses, verses 30 through 47, it's this we won't. We won't. I don't want to do that. No. We just won't come to Jesus. All humans have this inherent unwilling attitude towards Him because when it's all said and done, it comes down to this we don't love God, we love ourselves. You could even have that as the title We love ourselves we don't come because we love ourselves we're unwilling I mean why does the child not want to go who does that child love herself himself see this passage it unveils and, and reveals our deepest problem we love ourselves Uh, We love darkness rather than the light. Unless the light awakens us by the life-giving spirit, we will remain in our self-love. That's why Jesus said in verse 25, truly, truly I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the Son of Man, excuse me, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear shall live. That's what he's talking about. He speaks, and you're given life. And and unless the light awakens us, we will remain in our self-love. In spite of all the evidence that supports Jesus' identity, which is verses 31 to 39, Jesus presents evidence to who he is. When you're doing evangelism, you don't say, well, I can't present to you the evidence of scripture. That's ridiculous. Give them the evidence of scripture. Jesus did it. But in spite of all the evidence that supports and points to Jesus' true identity, our problem as humans is that we love ourselves. We seek our own recognition instead of God's recognition. That's why we need a heart change. We need a heart change. We need someone to speak life into our dead hearts. Praise Jesus we gathered together to sing about the fact that he's rescued us from our self-love, hasn't he? Yeah. yeah, Even as Christians, even as Christians, this this is a challenge to us. To what extent do we love ourselves? And not Christ and his body. Do we only love God and his people when it's only convenient for us, which is not true love? This will be a challenge to us To what extent do we love Christ? To what extent do we love his body? And yet, praise Jesus, he's rescued us from our self-love. And praise his name that he continues to forgive us when we do display self-love, doesn't he? He forgives us our sins. And that's that's the irony in this whole passage. What is true, real love? This, this, is, this is the irony in this, this whole uh, scenario and dialogue that Jesus brings up. While we were yet sinners, loving and serving ourselves, God sent his only begotten son who died for us. He sacrificed himself on our behalf for our sins. That's the irony in this. When we were so full of self-love, God gave himself. Isn't that ironic? When it, it's, Jesus said in chapter three, uh, um, "the light does not, the, the darkness don't want to come to the light; it rejects the light; it doesn't want to be exposed," and yet the light has come. That's grace, isn't it? This this is God's grace, and we're challenged. Let this be a challenge to us to show true, willing love for our Savior and to show the same grace toward His body. I said this last week about these verses, and it's true for verses 30 through 47, as He said in verses 19 through 29. Jesus makes the most audacious, open, direct claims about Himself, He emphasizes His identity. His relation to the Father, his credibility, and yet he and then he unveils the reality of people's hearts. We won't come. We love ourselves. And by the way, I want to say this too. um, I was I use different three different commentaries. I do my study, and I got this one. His name is Edward Clink. Edward Clink the Third. Yeah, I know. This guy has just been so helpful. Um, I would endorse him very much. So, um, Pastor Clink—he actually pastors a church—and he's just been so helpful. So, I've really enjoyed his helps and all these things going through John's gospel. But I want you to see how how Jesus—he kind of ends and yet begins here in verse thirty. Look at verse thirty. I am not able to do anything on my own as I hear I judge. Here's Jesus' true identity. This is in verse 30. And my judgment is righteous because I don't seek my own will but the will of the one who sent me. So he's he's transitioning, showing how his self-judgments were inadequate and yet he returned to the truth that his actions were united to the Father's intentions. He sought the Father's will That's his relation to the Father. This is who I am. I'm the unique son who's loved by the Father. We mentioned this, I mentioned this last week, the ontological equality but economic subordination. Which is why his judgment is just or, or righteous because what's the reality of his will? He's dependent upon the word and will of the Father. Period. This is who Jesus is. The unique eternal son, loved by the Father. This is his identity, this is who he is. This is who Jesus is before us. I will do whatever it is that the Father wants me to do. And now notice what he does now, in this part from verses 31 all the way to verse 39. He gives evidence for his identity. I'm going to give you the evidence for who I am. Prove to you, this is the proof. I'm not just doing this self testimony thing or self testifying. Because notice what he says in verse 31 If I testify or bear witness of myself, my testimony is not true. And probably a better word would be sufficient. If I testify of myself, my testimony is not sufficient. He's fully dependent upon the Father, so his testimony of himself is not sufficient on its own. His testimony, as Clink said, is rooted in the Father, it's empowered by the Spirit. Because if it's not, the triune God relationship is in jeopardy. The Father testified of the one whom he loved dearly, whom he loved for eternity. Look at what he says, verse 32. There's another who testifies of me and I know that the testimony which he testifies is sufficient. This is none other than the Father. And you couple that with Jesus' testimony, his testimony is sufficient. And now what Jesus does, he gives, here's four uh, co-participating testimonies as as evidence of who Jesus is. Notice how he begins. First, John the Baptist testifies. Verse 33, you've sent to John. They sent an envoy, the Jews, to John, who was sent by God, John was, and he testified to the truth. They sent this envoy to find out who John was. Uh, they recognized John's testimony. Look at what Jesus says, at the end of verse 35 uh, you were willing to rejoice for a little while in his light. There was fervor around his ministry. They were like, oh, who's this guy? Oh, maybe Messiah is coming. They were like, oh, excited about John the Baptist. Wow. They were all like, you know, who, who is he? What's going on? Is there a Messiah gonna come? They were willing, willing to rejoice a little while under his testimony, and yet the problem was they missed the object of his testimony. Jesus missed it entirely. Right over their heads. But he says, Jesus says, John testified to the truth which was testifying to Jesus who is the truth and what did he say? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And it's to the testament of John, notice Jesus says, I I, I don't receive this from men, it's not what I receive but I say these things that you may be saved. In other words, it's not from man. Ultimately, his, this man testimony, it's insufficient. Jesus is not dependent on human testimony, but even though he's not dependent on human testimony, and even though John's testimony was limited, he was the voice in the wilderness proclaiming salvation to the world. John the Baptist. Look at what he says about John, verse 35. He was a lamp burning and shining, sent by God, Rooted in the triune God, this was divinely ordained. He was like a lamp, a portable lamp. He was not the light, but he testified to the light. Chapter 1, verse 7. He burned, he shined, because he, he was the one who manifested the light to the world. So John the Baptist testified. There's the evidence. Number two, the works of Jesus testified. Verse 36 but the testimony which I receive is greater than John. For the works which the Father has given me to accomplish the very works I do testify of me. God himself was working in and through his Son because it was the Father who gave those works to Jesus. Well, what are the works? Obviously, the signs were included in those works, but it was Jesus' highest priority it was Jesus highest priority to accomplish to complete those works, but the greatest of the work would be his death and resurrection. His whole mission was to come and die because it would be the work of redemption, the cross that's the greatest work that Jesus would do. So these works testified, bore witness. They were proof of who he was, the evidence of who Jesus is, his identity. John the Baptist, his works. The end of verse 36, that the Father sent me, verse 37, and the Father who sent me, he testified of me, number three. The Father testified. Here's the proof of who Jesus is. John the Baptist proved it. His works prove it. The Father proves it. The Father gave His Son the works. And the Father testified to the truth of His Son. But notice, Jesus doesn't say how. He doesn't specify that. And you can speculate. Well, maybe He did this, maybe... Jesus doesn't go into that. But notice what Jesus does do at this point. Regardless of how the father testifies, when it came to the father, these Jews, verse 37, have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. Verse 38, you do not have his word abiding in you for you do not believe the one whom he sent. Notice how he's beginning to go into the purpose of his dialogue. These Jews, religious leaders, they had not heard the father's voice at any time. They had not seen his form. His word was not abiding or remaining in them. That's a three-tier rebuke from Jesus. The voice absent, face absent, word absent. They were deaf, blind. Um, If they didn't hear Jesus' voice, they were not of God's followers. If one sees Jesus and one has seen the Father, because he's the ultimate exegeter of the Father. And Jesus is the very word of God, so to have the word is to have Jesus. See, all that these Jews thought they were protecting, their heritage, their history, they thought they were protecting the law. Jesus used that to rebuke them. Why? Verse 38, for, because you do not believe him whom he sent. If they truly heard the Father's voice, if they truly seen his form, if they truly had his word abiding in them, then they would have believed Jesus. See, we need to understand something. And this is gonna move into the last testimony. The Bible is not just a nice moral way to live. It points us to the person. What did you just sing? Show us Christ. Prepare our hearts, O God. Plant your word down deep into us. Help our unbelief. There's a reason why we sang that song. Show us Christ as we come to the word of God, which, by the way, the scriptures is the last testimony. John the Baptist proved who Jesus was. The works proved who Jesus The Father, and then the scripture itself, the Bible. And as Jesus is speaking, he's talking about the Old Testament. And notice how Jesus, he rebuked the Jews for not seeing him. In the word, verse 39. You search the scriptures. You make careful, thoughtful effort. You're, you're diligent studiers of the Old Testament to learn scripture because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is these bear witness to testify of me. Pfft, that's audacious, isn't it? That's an open claim. Jesus rebuked. Jews for not seeing him as the heart and central theme of the Old Testament scriptures. They were blinded to the true subject matter of the Old Testament. Oh, they were diligent studiers of it. And they were protecting that law, right? It was like a lucky charm to them. And yet know this, there is nothing within the study of the scriptures itself that gives life, especially when the true purpose and focus of the word is denied or rejected. See, this is the key to every human on this planet, apart from the spirit of God opening people's eyes so that they embrace the word of God in the word of God they will never believe in the truth. Never. That's why Jesus said, an hour's coming and now is, verse 25, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear shall live. He's talking about spiritual life. Remember, we looked at that last week. The spiritual life. They must be awakened to that. Unfortunately, they did not read the Old Testament in the way the Old Testament is supposed to be read. You gotta put your Christ-centered Jesus focused glasses on. You know. When you gotta read something, you're like, what's the first thing that comes out of your mouth? Where's my glasses? I get my glasses on. I can see that to there, right? Got to get your glasses on, so get your Christ-centered, Jesus-focused glasses on, then you can read the Old Testament the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. It, Mike, they're on your head. Okay. No, and notice, so he's, he's going into this, he's, he's starting to bring out what's going on in their hearts. And this is where he moves into this. In verse 40, the problem is here. The problem, their unwillingness to come and you're unwilling to come to me that you may have life this is the evil state of their hearts the problems not the Bible the problems not the father the problems not the works of Jesus the problem wasn't John the Baptist the problem is their heart (laughs) and here's the irony what they placed at the center of their faith the Old Testament scriptures, they truly did not believe. They were blind. They were lost. Friends, the problem with people is their heart. Our problem is our heart. The testimony of John, the proof of Jesus' works, the proof from the Father, The proof from the Bible falls on deaf ears if it's stripped of the powerful, life-giving Spirit of God. Or what did Jesus call it? Unless you're reborn, born again, born from above, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. And look at what he does in verse 41. He begins to bring out the issue of self-love. I do not receive glory from men. Probably a better translation would be recognition. So Jesus was saying, human recognition is insufficient. Besides, it's not about human recognition anyways. It's about the Father's recognition. Verse 42, here it is. But I know you. That the love of God you do not have in yourselves. There it is. Why are people unwilling to come? What is our problem? Because of self-love. The light reveals the darkness. He manifested the true nature of their hearts. See, this is actually the point of the whole dialogue. Uh, Jesus knows that humanity does not possess a love for God. That's what he's talking about here. When he's talking about uh, love of God, he's talking about love for God. You don't have that love for God. You don't have it in yourselves. They don't love God. This is the whole point. This is what's driving Jesus in this dialogue. This is driving this whole dialogue is right here, People are filled with self-love. Who do they really love? Themselves. At the end of the day, people love themselves. They don't love God. They love the darkness rather than the light, so they won't come to the light. Won't come. And that's the irony. God showed his love to people who don't love him. That's why his love is so amazing. That's why it's so gracious. What does Paul say? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What do we read in Titus? When the kindness of God and his love for humanity appeared, what did he do? He saved us. Not on the basis of the works we've done in righteousness, but through that renewal and that rebirth from the Spirit. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you need to be reborn. You need to come to Christ. Come and receive him. Get out of your self-love. Come into the love of God. He'll forgive you. He'll liberate you. He'll save you. He'll love you. He'll show grace to you. Repent and trust Jesus. God should condemn us, but he's merciful. He'll show you mercy. Come receive him. What's the problem? The problem is our self-love. We won't come because we love ourselves. And look at what Jesus does, kind of closing off this, these audacious claims. And then he says even more audacious claims from verses 43 to 47. He, he gives examples of their self-love. First, their self-recognition. I have come in the name of my Father and you don't receive me. Okay. So here's the irony it thickens. They claim to love God, but it, when it came to Jesus, who came in the authority of the Father, in whom they claim to love, remember? They don't receive him. That's why this is the proof they don't love God. If they truly love God, they would not fail to love Jesus. I I've come in the by the authority of the Father, you don't receive me. But then look at what he says. If another shall come in his own name, you'll receive him. Some nameless guy comes. They receive him. How does this make any sense? Wouldn't would they love Jesus? No. And, that, and and this could be false messiahs. It could be others. But the point Jesus is trying to make is there's no love for Jesus and no love for God. There's no love for God. There's no love for Jesus. look at what he says, verse Verse 44. How can you even believe that's a nuance here? How can you even believe when you receive recognition from one another? Oh, that's really what it is. You like the recognition from one another, you like the recognition from each other. Yeah, I like me. And you don't seek the recognition as from the only God? What's the essence? How could they even begin to believe when they receive recognition from one another but they don't seek God's recognition? This is this nonsense. But it's true. People want self-recognition as a way to enhance their self-love. Humanity chooses self instead of embracing God. They wanted someone... um, Whose values made them central? They wanted someone who, who made them the focus. They got the recognition. That's what they wanted. <laughs> is this not the true meaning of sin? To recognize and find what is worthy in ourselves, focusing and centering upon ourselves? Isn't that not what sin is? we're more concerned with human praise and recognition than giving that recognition to God that recognition happens in and through the Lord Jesus so example of their self love first self recognition and second convenient religion look at verse 45 don't think I'm going to accuse you before the father I'm not going to accuse you. Moses is going to accuse you. This would cut them to the core. To reject Jesus really means one rejects Moses. Here's Jesus as the judge, remember? Jesus said he was the judge, verse 19 through 29. He's the life giver. He's the judge. And who's the accuser? Moses interesting notice how Jesus challenged the object of their faith which was themselves and all they did they used Moses for their own selfish ends convenient religion Jesus must be the object of faith and the one, notice he says, the one who accuses Moses in whom you yourselves hope. And the you yourselves is emphasized there on purpose. You yourselves hope in him, and yet he's the one accusing you. There's the irony. The one who would accuse them before the Father on the last day of judgment. It's even more heavy because who is Moses? He wrote the first five books of the Old Testament. So not only is that going to affect the Pharisees, it's going to affect the Sadducees, the religious leaders in whole. Why? Why is he going to accuse them? Verse 46. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote of me. Boom! That is totally audacious. I mean, when was the last time that, yeah, the Old Testament speaks about me right, Moses wrote about me, that's audacious, isn't it, Moses' very message message had Jesus as the centerpiece, so they truly didn't believe Moses, for if you believe Moses, you believe me, because he wrote about me, I'm in his writings, I'm in Genesis, I'm in Exodus, I'm in Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. This tells us something about the Old Testament, by the way. Again, a commentator says this, Jesus is the quote ultimate and fullest subject matter of the Old Testament scriptures. Another's phrase, he is quote the hermeneutical key for reading the scriptures. So, the Old Testament must be read, we must read the Old Testament in the way the Old Testament is supposed to be read with Christ-centered Jesus-focused glasses on. And look at how he ends, verse 47. But if you don't believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Moses, who was the object of their hope, he wasn't really believed because they really didn't believe Jesus. All they wanted was something to Foster their own self love. They didn't care. So, if they, in essence, didn't believe Moses, Jesus says, How can you believe my words? So, to believe in Moses is to believe in Jesus, to reject Jesus is to reject Moses. If they did not understand that the scriptures of Moses centered on Jesus, they would never understand Moses and never believe Jesus and never believe his words because it's a belief that embraces Jesus it's a a belief that obeys Jesus It's, it's a belief that loves Jesus not self I mean this enhances for us the grace of God this puts God's grace on such display do you see that? When we were at a state where we could not and would not embrace Him in true faith, God came down to us, accommodating Himself to us by showing us His love and grace. How? Taking on human flesh and dying for us. While we were still sinners, when you were steeped in your self-love, Jesus moved. God initiated that's grace. This passage reveals our deep problem, the deepest problem. We love ourselves, we just won't come. All humans have this inherent unwilling attitude towards God. We don't love God, we love ourselves. This is a challenge to us as Christians to, to love Christ and his body more and more. And our love for Christ and each other will be done for the sake of Christ and for others, not for our own convenience, right? It's a challenge. And unless the light awakens us by the life-giving spirit, we will remain in our self-love. So praise God for his awakening grace. Praise God, he's awakened you to your self-love. So how do you get out of the self-love? Focus. Focus on Jesus. Let Him be the centerpiece. Let Him be your focus. Because He is the epitome of the grace and love of God. Isn't He? Let's pray for Him to do that in us. Our Father, we know we fall short. There's days where we are filled with our self-love, and thank you. We say thank you for rescuing us from our self-love. And we thank you that you've rescued us from this inherent unwillingness to come, so we come. We come to you willingly. Make known our self-love. Make known how we focus on ourselves and not on you, Lord Jesus. We make it about us, not about you. Spirit of God, we pray, awaken that more and more in us by your power through the word to show us Christ through the words of Scripture, the ancient words of the Word. To be a people of grace who have experienced your grace, rescued out of our self-love. I encourage you, in these few moments, Fill your mind with God's word to ponder what we've seen from the truth today. and Maybe the Spirit's pricked you and you've seen some self-love. Repent of that, confess it. Jesus loves, he forgives. He liberates, go to the cross. He died for that. Fill your mind with gospel truth. These few moments, it's like a minute or so. Take this time, if you would, between you and the Lord. And then pray, Lord, plant your word down deep in me, deep down in me. Please take the time and do that now.